All right, let's get to work here. Marriage will make you or break you. Now, even if you're sitting with your spouse, you're, you can say amen because it made you. They, they don't have to know what you're thinking. It'll make you or it will break you. And as I've mentioned before, if you are single, listen, God bless you. Uh, 50% of American adults are single. 50%. Either by choice, by divorce, by death. There's a whole lot of reasons, but 50% of adults are single. Celebrate that. Don't, don't think, man, my life will start happening when I get married. And I've had people say, man, if I could just get married, all my problems will go away. <laughs> you know, I don't even respond to that one. I just let that one, I just let that one go by. But if you are married, there are some principles that we need to look at. Or if you're thinking about getting married, there are some things uh, that you should be looking for. But before we dive in, I want to read one more statement to you to let you understand our commitment to Scripture. Okay, I want to explain to you the goal of the gospel. The gospel is the, the Word of God. It's the Bible. It is the good news about Jesus. It's the whole story that we talk about all the time. The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you celebrate you and accept you the goal of the gospel is to rescue you transform you and redirect you that is a total you didn't come here to hear what you wanted to hear you came here i hope to hear the gospel you came to hear the truth so here's the story so we talked about abraham four different times god came to abraham and said i'm going to bless you and make you a great nation and Abraham sometimes does better with it than he does others. Years go by. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you, your descendants, more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. He said, I am going to bless you, and the Messiah is going to come through your line. He's 100, Sarah's 90, no kids. We finally have Isaac, the child of the promise. And then Isaac waits till he's 30. He's not married. We finally get him married through a chain of events. And Rebecca's barren. And God does a miracle and opens Rebecca's womb. And she has twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the firstborn, should have been the child of the promise. But he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup last week, right? And now Jacob has become the child of the promise. Now there's a real problem that we're playing with here. If we're going to be more than the sand on the seashore, we've got to at some point have more than one child at a time. Because this isn't really getting us anywhere. So once we get to this next round, Jacob's going to have 12 boys and things are going to explode from there into the huge Jewish population um, that, that is now and of course was destroyed during the 30s and 40s and is being rebuilt now. But then the promise is that the Messiah will come through this line. So now we have Jacob who's not married. And how are we going to carry on the line if Jacob's not married? And so we pick up this story in chapter 28 if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. So remember, Jacob has legally gotten the birthright dumb move on Esau's part but nonetheless so Isaac called for Jacob he's dying and he blessed him and he commanded him do not marry a Canaanite woman 
Go at once, allow me to translate, go at once to Syria, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself from there, from the daughters of Laban. So basically, they're cousins, but they're believers in the true God. That's why I'll get to that in a minute. Your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. He went to Syria to Laban of Bethuel, the Aramean. The brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Syria to take a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, dad specifically said, do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Syria. Now watch what Esau does. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Maaloth, there's no test, the sister of Naaboth, the daughters of Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives that he already had. You can be seated. All right. So let's talk, first of all, about the power of marriage. Uh, in a culture that has a hard time defining things. And, I, and I'm, I'll start with this because I need this to take me where I'm going. Kay Ivey, who is the governor of, of Alabama. Here's a picture of this sweet grandmother. Um, you know, when, you get, when you're older and you're in politics, you just don't have to play with people. And I love this lady. She, just, she said she signed a bill saying that transgender women uh, cannot play in female sports in the state of Alabama. But that's not the best part. So when they're interviewing her, they said, Governor, you have signed this bill saying that transgender women cannot play sports. She goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just stop right there. She said, that's not what I signed. I signed a bill saying that biological men pretending to be women could not play in women's sports. Now, let me tell you why that's important. She didn't let the culture define her words. We live in a culture that can't define marriage, can't define life, can't define male and female, for goodness sakes. And we're supposed to take morality lessons from those people? They can't define, they redefine every single thing with their own wording. And you and I cannot let that happen. And when it comes to marriage, you and I have to be very careful to follow God's plan. In every wedding ceremony I do, I always pray this, God, regardless of why they're coming together, I mean, obviously you're in love and, you know, some of you older people are like, yeah, I remember that. Um, you know, there's those moments and, and, uh, But I pray that God would do more with them as a couple than God could ever do with them individually. Because that's really what marriage is supposed to be. That's the long-term plan. That's why Isaac got Rebecca. That's why Jacob is going to get Rachel. Because together, God's got a great plan for them. And instead of you as 
individuals in a marriage fighting each other understand that you're supposed to complement each other. And when the two of you work together, it's amazing what can happen for the ministry, for families, for other people around you. If you just decide that we're going to work together instead of against each other. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 19. He said, since that you are no longer two but one, therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Pretty good stuff, right? Let me tell you what God wants. This is from Ephesians 4. And I'm going to be real transparent with you. And it was funny. We went home last night. And uh, Lou Emma's here. She heard this. And I said, I'm going to ask her to grade me when we get home. And I said, it's not going to go well for me. It was a very short conversation. And you know how the conversation went. We both admitted we got a lot of work to do. 40 years of marriage. Everybody's still got work to do. Listen listen to what Paul says. He says, four things I need you to do, guys. Be completely humble. Okay, I'm really, I'm strong there. Um, And gentle, nailing that. Be patient. Man, I'm three for three. Uh, Bearing with one another in love. I probably scored D minus. Is anybody here go unscathed with that list? Are you kidding me? Be completely humble. Gentle, patient, and bear with me. What would happen in your marriage if you just applied that one sentence? If you, got, if you pick one of them, just pick the one that you most need. Men, what if you just learned to be gentle? Ladies, what if you just learned to be patient? But, I'm, I mean, this is why God's word is so in-depth. Because you're never going to master that sentence. Neither am I. But we... Went home last night as a couple and said, man, we've got work to do individually and corporately. We've got work to do. Now, I understand this is not talking about marriage in the context of this passage, but it certainly applies, don't you think? All right. Now, here's the next verse. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Okay. Do I have to create unity? Do I have to create unity in the church? Do I have to create unity in my marriage? Do I have to create unity in my country? Let's read this again. Do make every effort to, what's this word? Keep the unity. Do I have to create it? No, God's already created it. So how does unity get destroyed by us? There is unity in your marriage. It's only your choices that blow up your marriage. There's unity in the country. It's only our choices that blow them up. There's unity in the church. Jesus died for all of us. It's only when people start doing things their own way that the churches begin to implode. Because our job is to do with all of our effort to keep the unity of the spirit. What what would happen in your marriage if you said today, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to do everything in my power to keep unity. Goes back to that first part. I got to be completely humble. (laughs) I love it. He doesn't even, he doesn't even give me an out to say, Hey, I'm humble. No, no, no. Completely humble. That means you don't even get to think of yourself at all. It's kind of like this. Let me tell you the story of a cell. You're, you're made up of trillions of cells and Each one of those cells is a molecular machine. Each one of those 
Each one of your cells in your body is doing more than any computer could ever imagine. And they're all functioning at the same time. They're all running. They're all doing what they're supposed to do. Here's some of what it looks like. <clears throat> there's little motors. There's little transmissions. There's all kinds of little parts inside every single cell. But did you know you also have inside every one of those trillions of cells in your body, you have a 911 system built in? If you cut yourself, you take a knife and just just little nick. Bells go off. Don't ask me how, where. Bells go off in your system and your bone marrow will begin to produce white blood cells by the billions. And send them directly to the spot of that cut. And what do white blood cells do? They heal. They heal. Isn't that crazy? I mean, evolution, come on. Every cell in my body knows to cry for help. My bone marrow knows how to respond and brings healing to the very spot of the injury. Oh, God's amazing in every conceivable way. But what would happen in your marriage if you decided tonight that you weren't going to be the cut, but you were going to be the white blood cell? Just leave that right there. Second part. It's a call for fruitfulness. When Isaac blesses Jacob, I think Isaac realizes what I told you. He's saying, we're going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and I keep counting one. There's another child. One. How are we ever going to have this huge population when we keep doing ones? And so when he sends Jacob out, he says, may God fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham. Not only that the Messiah would come through our line, but that the multiplication of the Jewish people, the Israeli people, that it would begin with you, Jacob. Pray for multiplication. Interesting. Now, in the context, certainly... It is biological. There is a biological component to what God said to Adam and Eve. But it's more than biological. Spiritually, every one of us is meant to reproduce. We are meant to reproduce disciples. Now, having children, yes, you reproduce them and, you, and you, you, we expand the, the church that way. But regardless, you reproduce Good marriages by helping other families. You reproduce disciples by teaching in the children's ministry. You reproduce the church growth by reaching out to the neighbors where the whole world is moving to you. Listen to me. If, if you invite ten people to come to church and one of them comes and their family becomes a Christian, haven't we won? And with as many people moving here, if we get one out of every ten, we'll need a new building. Let alone blow out the back walls because God is sending us the world. The church is never meant to be stagnant. It's always meant to be reproducing. So is your marriage. So is our family. What does that mean? I'm not having any more kids. Maybe you're not having any more kids. But that doesn't mean you can't reproduce. That you can't replicate, help somebody else with their kids, help train some other kids. There's so many ways for this process to take place. But if the church says, you know what, we're just here to be the church. Well, we failed. Joe, why are we spending all this money in Naples? Well, because if Naples goes to hell, what's going to happen to Florida? If we don't reach Bunnell, what happens to Flagler County? 
So everything has its own consequences that come into play. And listen, don't think it's going to be easy. It's only going to get worse. You see this story about this kid in Canada? Young boy, I don't know how old he is, 16 maybe. He's been arrested twice for giving away free Bibles that he paid for. I Supposedly there's freedom of speech in Canada, uh, not necessarily so. But don't think that day is not coming. Utah just passed a law banning all Bibles from public school system. Don't, don't think this day is not coming where you and I aren't going to have to get stronger and be more intentionally focused on our faith and helping other people reproduce their own faith. Paul said this, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. We're going to have to come along people and encourage them and carry them and get people back to church and back in their faith and get through the, the difficult times that they're facing. And then that leads to the real core of the message. And that is the danger of rebellion. Now, the title of the message, if you paid attention, is who are you going to hurt? And it really is all about this last story. So Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob's going to go find Rachel. He's going to marry her. It's going to be a great love story with a lot of problems. We'll cover all that later. Um, but Esau's still out there, the other brother. And he hears that dad has blessed Isaac, and Esau's very angry. Uh, even though he sold the birthright. Is Esau got anybody to blame but himself? No. Esau sold the birthright, but now when Jacob gives that blessing to Isaac, that he is the child of the promise, Esau is furious. And he knows the dad made this statement, do not take a woman from the Canaanites. Now, what's the big deal about the Canaanites? The Canaanites uh, are the descendants of the grandson of, of Noah, and they live in Jerusalem. They are involved in every sexual perversion. They, they make the United States look moral. All right. They would take their children out to the side of a, a cliff, the Kidron Valley, uh, born, uh, unborn and born. They would uh, throw their children into the fire, appeasing their false gods. And that's the reason that Rebecca said, Isaac, you cannot let our son take a woman from there because they'll worship all these gods. And we cannot have the line of the Messiah have this kind of person in it. It wasn't about the fact they were Canaanite. It was about their, who they were worshiping, their idolatrous behavior, their sexual perversions, all of this crazy stuff. Esau's, Esau heard that Isaac told Jacob that and that Jacob did the right thing. This is one of the few times you'll find out Jacob did the right thing. One of the few things Jacob does right in the entire book of Genesis is that Jacob goes and gets a wife where dad tells him to get the wife. And Esau said, oh yeah, you don't want to get a wife from the Canaanites? So what did Esau do? He went and married a woman from the Canaanites. Now, okay, what do we care? Did it impact you? Eh, maybe not. Esau does this to get his mom and dad. Mom, watch this. Dad, you're going to give Jacob the blessing? You watch this. I'll marry that Canaanite woman. Okay. 
Who got hurt in the story? Who's going to live with this the rest of, honestly, the rest of time? The Esau's descendants still live on the east side of the Jordan River. They're still all non-believers. And there's, it's a really rough bunch of people. Esau's family is going to pay the price for his decision. Now, I know this would never happen here, but let me give you this scenario. You're angry at somebody. And you, you might hate them. You cannot let something go. They hurt you last week, last year, 30 years ago. But man, you are angry. And here's the deal. They're off at a party right now. Not giving you a thought. They haven't thought about you in 10 years. And they don't care. And you have locked your own prison door. Esau thought he was hurting his mom and dad. He did. He did. It had to hurt Rebecca badly that Esau made this decision. But ultimately, Esau destroyed his own family line. So think about, in your own anger and your own unforgiveness, who am I really hurting? Am I hurting everybody else or am I hurting me in the process? That's, a, that's something only you can process. Now, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, we use this for temptation, but it will work here. He says, no temptation has seized you except that with common demand. Um, the point of that is this. Whatever you're dealing with, everybody's, there's a whole bunch of people dealt with this before. It's not like you're the first one to have a cousin that's treated you this way or somebody that cheated you out of an inheritance or somebody that, what, whatever your story is. It's common to man. But with the temptation, God is faithful and he'll provide a way out so you can stand up under it. Now, a friend of mine that I played uh, played baseball with in college, he owns a huge ranch out in Nebraska. And he's having some problems with his neighbors. And he posts on his Facebook page every day about his neighbor's cows being on his property. Now, I don't really care about his cows, but the story's interesting. So for a week, hey, these are not my cows, but they are on my pasture land. And that's all the post would say. After a couple of weeks, this goes on. This is what he posted Friday. And it's, it's an electric fence, by the way. And it just has a simple note at the bottom. It says, it's hot. Now, you from the city may not know what an electric fence is. But it is there so that when said animal bumps up against it, the animal will, let's say, have a shocking experience, okay? Now, as a kid, we used to run into these all the time, and we would have conversations like this. You think they really got that electric fence turned on? <laughs> Be honest. How many of you have ever touched an electric fence? I right, see, see? Yeah. Yeah, because one of us always is like, all right, dude, you see it. You see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you got a choice today. You can say, God, I believe you can take away that hurt and I'm going to release it. They owe me. They owe me money. They owe me time. They owe me, they owe me a whole bunch of I'm sorry's. They owe me all kinds of stuff. And you can say, God, I'm going to turn that over to you. Or you can hold on to that electric fence just as long as you'd like. It's your choice. If you're online and you need to accept Jesus, you hit that button. I've decided if you're here in the room, you come on up front. There's people here. 
If you're dealing with stuff in your marriage or in your relationship or you need to get married, whatever it might look like, you come up front. There's prayer people up here. They'll help you. But I'm going to finish with this statement. Uh, This is uh, Tim Keller uh, just died a couple weeks ago. Great, great uh, evangelist out of Manhattan. Planted churches all over the globe. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether you like Jesus' teaching, but whether he rose from the dead. So, Father, as we process this, I don't know who needs to work on the power of marriage, who needs to work on being completely humble and patient. I don't know who needs to be working on fruitful or who needs to let go of a past hurt. I have no idea what you're doing with your word right now. In the room, people online, people that will be watching later, I have no clue what you're going to do with this. But I'm asking for you to have your way. You said your word would never come back empty. So, Lord, I ask that you would use it in Jesus' name. Amen.